Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF, and you can find my fantasy rankings at thefootballgirl.com. And joining me now is Mr. Jake Trowbridge, co-host of the Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football podcast, along with Dustin Luntz, uh, a very aptly named podcast where Dustin, Jake, and a guest drink beer and talk fantasy football. Uh, Actually, wait, I guess it's not necessarily just beer. Dustin did a shot of fireball when I was a guest on their show earlier this fall, but no matter. Find him on Twitter at Jake Trowbridge. Jake, welcome, good sir. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Pat. I'm I'm very excited to be uh, on a different podcast where maybe, wink, wink, I can still drink and talk fantasy football. Well, that's right. You guys do the live stream. We uh, are audio only, so you could be, uh, you know, getting half of the bag right now for all I know. And, uh, you know, no one will be any the wiser. for it, So that's a good thing. <laughs> no spoilers here. No spoilers. <laughs> uh, so the year 2020 has been a fiasco in so many ways, Jake, but what kind of a, a season has it been for you from the perspective of your various fantasy good year, bad year. Uh, and how have things gone for you in the Scott fishbowl? You know, overall I've actually had a pretty decent year. Now I'm going to chalk this up to just luck when it comes to avoiding injuries, because if you've been able to do that this year, I think you're probably in a pretty good situation. Uh, and luckily the majority of my leagues, I haven't been too overrun with them. Of course, you know, some here and there, but, uh, uh, it definitely could have been worse. Uh, Scott Fishbowl, I, uh, again, kind of just got lucky this year. No real big injuries uh, with the exception of George Kittle. Um, but aside from that, pretty pretty secure, pretty healthy. Uh, so did end up getting a first round buy in that, which is great because uh, this next week is, or this week, I should say, uh, is, is tricky. So I'm glad not to have to worry about some of the issues for this week. Dude, surviving the loss of George Kittle, no small thing in that league. Uh, I took Kittle, too, myself at at 109, and, I mean, his injury just completely gutted me. So how did you you manage to overcome that? What are you rolling out at tight end? On a wing and a prayer. Uh, I I had to put put together some combination of Richard Rodgers, Mo Alley-Cox, um, uh, Jack Doyle. I doubled up on the indie tight ends there. Uh, it, it really have just piecemealed it so far. Dude, that is Hammond egging it to uh, quite a successful degree to overcome that and still get a playoff by. It's pretty impressive. So, uh, well, good luck with the Scott Fishball run, my friend. Uh, well done. I appreciate it. Thank you much. Well, yeah, I wanted to start off with some quarterback talk, Jake, with the fantasy playoffs starting in most leagues this week. 
let me take your temperature on a few quarterbacks. How much would you trust these guys to start playoff games for you? And we'll take them one at a time. And I'm not, I am going to list their next three opponents because I'm sure your willingness to start some of these guys is conditional in some cases. You wouldn't want to start them against a tougher defense, but if they're playing a patsy, then sure. So, all right, first name on the list, Jared Goff. Playoff opponents are Patriots, Jets, and at Seahawks. I'm glad that you mentioned right out of the gate that this can be uh, conditional based on their opposition because, for me, Jared Goff is exactly that. I mean, he's the definition of that conditional quarterback for me. His first matchup against New England, I'm dreading it. I am hoping and praying that if you have Goff rostered, you have somebody for that week that you can slide in. Uh, in his steed, because New England is, I mean, they don't mess around, and nothing against Goff, but he he is not the uh, elite tier of fantasy quarterback for me where you can get by playing him against them. Now, on the other hand, he gets the Jets and the Seahawks. It's tough to get too much of a better spot in the playoffs for those two weeks, especially the Seahawks, last time that he played them. Put up 300 yards pretty easily, honestly. The only thing he didn't really get was those touchdowns, which I would expect him to be able to get this time around, you know, at least uh, at least a couple this time. So, you know, ultimately, I'm not I, I'm not overly smitten with him just because of that initial matchup against the Patriots. But outside of that, I'm I'm very comfortable starting him. Yeah, he might be, you know, a streaming option for people. I'm, I'm sure there are not a lot of people that have been rolling through the entire season with Goff as their starting quarterback. But uh, yeah, good point to avoid that Patriots matchup. I guess we had a pretty high profile example uh, a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl of Bill Belichick sort of having Jared Goff's number. So um, agree with you there. How about a guy who had been rolling along uh, pretty smoothly until week 13, Justin Herbert, um, coming off the Debacle against those uh, Patriots. He gets Atlanta at home this week, then at Las Vegas, and then at home against the Broncos. I I love it. And I love that we got to transition right into Herbert because, again, talking about the Patriots, it's a prime example of what they did to, as you mentioned, a terrific fantasy quarterback Uh, and and real-life quarterback. I mean, Justin Herbert is fantastic. He has shocked me personally in his rookie year thus far with what he's been able to do. Um, And now he gets on paper three pretty great matchups to go against here. Now, Atlanta has been odd. At least these uh, there's been a couple of weeks where they've really done a 180 and suddenly turned into a stifling defense on folks. But I don't know if that's a mirage I'm expecting that it probably is because they still rank number one in terms of uh, fantasy points allowed to opposing quarterbacks. They're the best for fantasy purposes for us. Um, So I still love that matchup. Uh, There's no hesitation starting him against Vegas. There's no hesitation starting him against Denver, uh, who's the worst of that matchup, but still pretty middling in terms of what they do to uh, opposing quarterbacks. Sure. Yeah, I... uh... I mean, Bill Belichick didn't get where he is by letting rookie quarterbacks roll over him. So I'm not surprised that he gave Herbert some uh, cooked up ways to give Herbert problems. Um, 
you know, like it's possible. It's possible he's hitting some sort of rookie wall. But really, we haven't seen any sign of of troubles before this, I don't think. So uh, especially with Eckler back to get those, you know, easier completions when he needs them. Um, yeah, I think you're feeling pretty good about him now. And uh, yeah, I know what you mean about the Atlanta defense. Like they had that great game against Derek Carr a couple of weeks ago. But then, geez, I mean, Taysom Hill completed, what, 27 passes against him <laughs> yesterday. So I don't know how airtight that defense is. Um, what about a guy who balled out in week 13, Baker Mayfield, who lit up the Tennessee Titans? He gets the Ravens. All right, we might be avoiding that matchup, let's face it. But then he gets New York, New York, Giants and Jets in week weeks 15 and 16. How are you feeling I, about Baker? Yeah, I just want to say I'm I'm happy for Baker. I'm proud of Baker for being able to do what he did in week 13. Uh, quite a big change from, I think, what people's projections were of him earlier in the season, myself included. Um, it's been kind of odd and I don't know if it's coincidental it's very narrative driven but Baker with and without Odell Beckham on the field two entirely different quarterbacks when Odell's been there he's just not been good and I don't know if it is something where he's been trying to overfeed Odell and now with him out he's feeling a little bit looser Uh, I, I don't know if that actually has anything to do with it but he's definitely been on a tear here uh recently And yes, I don't want to start him against Baltimore. Uh, I also kind of don't want to start him against the Giants with all that said. They've been kind of sneaky good against uh, quarterbacks from a fantasy perspective, at least. Um, And so uh, it's not an ultimate must start matchup against the Giants, but I think he'll be fine for you. The Jets is the tasty one. I mean, I would love to get if you can get to that championship matchup and you get to play him against the Jets I mean that's uh, about as good as it gets there yeah a uh, good point about the Giants like maybe people thought that was a more favor favorable matchup uh, a couple of weeks ago but after what they did to Russell Wilson in week 13 I think a lot of people took notice of them as a, a defense that you don't necessarily pick on um, how about Derek Carr uh, against the Colts, the Chargers, and the Dolphins all at home. <sighs> Derek Carr. <laughs> I don't know what to make of Derek Carr recently. It's, uh, it's. I mean, we already talked about Atlanta and what they did to Carr, but it does seem like there's something shaken with him these last couple of weeks, and it, it makes me a little nervous. It definitely makes me nervous for him going up against the Colts. Uh, I believe... Per game, they're fourth worst matchup wise for your fantasy quarterback. So uh, I definitely don't love that. It seems like there's a lot of weak ones that I'm trying to avoid here. Uh, But uh, between them and the Chargers, who kind of middle of the road in terms of what they've done against fantasy quarterbacks this year. Um, And then uh, Miami, those two matchups, the final two matchups should be okay. You would think, but again, the I think the Dolphins are better against the quarterback than people have expected, or at least in terms of fantasy points scored. It's probably game script a lot of it. Um, but the Dolphins, I, I believe, seventh worst matchup for your uh, your fantasy quarterback. So it's kind of tricky, and and Carr doesn't give me a ton of confidence just with how he's been performing lately. 
Yeah, opponents are going to throw a lot of good cornerbacks at Derek Carr in these playoff matchups. Even the Chargers, who maybe look like the most favorable matchup here, getting Chris Harris Jr. back and uh, having Casey Hayward too. I mean, that's not exactly easy picking. So, yeah, I think I'm pretty much avoiding Carr here in the playoffs. Do you think Josh Allen is an unconditional playoff starter? I mean, he gets Pittsburgh at home this week. Then he's at Denver. Then he's at New England. Before I really dove into this, just looking at it on paper, seeing the name Josh Allen, I'm thinking, yeah, he, he is an unconditional starter because of that rushing floor, which is just great. I mean, it's fantasy magic when you can get uh, a quarterback like him who's going to get you not just rushing yards, but all those rushing touchdowns that he's able to put together here. But the more I dive into this, I'm actually not so sure because... He's had three pretty rough games this year, and they've all come against pretty good defenses, unsurprisingly. Uh, He's had three games where he's thrown for just about 150 yards or less, and in those games, he's only thrown three total touchdowns. Saved himself a little bit with a a couple of rushing touchdowns in those. Um, Now, again, one of those was against New England, who we just talked about. Uh, Another one against those Chargers that you were mentioning, and that was just in Week 12 where he had some issues with those corners. So against Pittsburgh, I'm probably not feeling as great as I would have a few weeks back looking at this. And same with New England, who he gets to wrap things up in the championship here. So yeah, love him against Denver. And I think you can do a whole lot worse than starting Josh Allen against the Steelers or the Patriots. But I think you really have to hope for that rushing touchdown upside there. Agreed. Yeah, if he does not uh, make his bones on the ground, I I think you're probably going to be disappointed with what he gives you in those games. But yeah, he is going to put he's going to pose a dilemma, I think, for a lot of his fantasy managers in the playoffs. All right. Just a couple more. Uh, Philip Rivers dealing with the foot injury, but he's going to play through it at the Raiders at home against the Texans and at Pittsburgh. I think we know we're avoiding the at Pittsburgh, but how do you feel about those first two? <laughs> yeah, those those first two are, uh, they'll be okay because he, he's always going to be able to make use out of his running backs in those dump offs to uh, help help ratchet up the, the yards for himself. Um, the weird news about his toe injury, um, I don't know. The team isn't concerned about it for this year. It seems like he's going to have off-season surgery, but seems like he should be okay to go the rest of the way. Uh, and if he is, then yeah, those matchups are pretty good. Um, he, I still don't expect him to be anywhere near a mid-range QB1 or anything of the sort against Vegas and the Texans, but just based off the matchups alone, yeah, I'd feel comfortable starting him. Yeah, he's uh, actually put up some pretty big numbers lately, which is is weird. Like he's starting to throw it around quite a bit more. Um, you know, T.Y. Hilton looking a little more viable. Michael Pittman has come through for him. So uh, whereas he looked really hamstrung at the wide receiver position earlier in the season, that's less of a concern now. Uh, you know, he's got the multiple tight ends, a bunch of backs he can throw to. So I'd actually feel pretty good about him. And a, a toe injury is not really something I'm too worried about for a guy who pretty much a statue anyway back there. So um, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> now here's the interesting one, Jake. Jalen Hurts. I'm just going to take a leap of faith. Uh, have, have not seen if 
there has been an official announcement yet today uh, as we record this on Monday, December 7th. But I'm just going to assume that he gets the start for the Eagles this week. They're at home against the Saints. Then they go to Arizona and then they go to Dallas. How would you feel about rolling out the rookie in a playoff game? Well, um, as sad as it makes me to talk about this as a unabashed Packers homer, the way that he looked when he stepped in against Green Bay this past week, it it was impressive. It was certainly impressive. So um, he seemed to offer that team a spark that they desperately needed, and he was productive. Um, you know, they didn't get the win or anything like that, but that was a, a tall task uh, considering what he stepped into there. So if he is officially named the starter, then honestly, I'd feel somewhat comfortable with him. I, I think that you have a good base floor with him. Uh, it's good timing that Zach Ertz is coming back for him. So at least have, you know, if nothing else, Ertz and Goddard there to really help him. So yeah, I would call him a low range QB one if he is officially the starter there. Yeah. I mean, you get that, you know, you're going to get some rushing production from him pretty much every game. I, I would think that's sort of certain. And um, man, that, that throw he made to Greg Ward on pretty much a dead run. And uh, just, you know, 30-plus yard rope. Really impressive. So I am interested to see what he's going to do. I don't know that I'd be, like, crazy against, crazy about throwing him out against uh, New Orleans this week. But I wouldn't feel too bad against uh, or trying him against Arizona or Dallas. So, um, all right, Jake, let's talk about some rookies. But I want to do this from the perspective of our expectation for them next year. I kind of mentioned this last week that, you know, as some people start to fall out of the playoffs and out of contention in fantasy leagues, like I want to keep things interesting for the people who are coming back to this show, even if they're out of the running. So, um, all right. In preparation for this, I asked you to rank your top five rookie running backs um, and your top 10 rookie receivers based on how you think, uh, They'll be ordered when you're putting your draft board together for 2021. I've done the same thing, so we can run through our lists and compare. And of course, this conversation doesn't have to be limited to just redraft. If you have any dynasty thoughts on any of these guys, guys, just lay them on us. All right, Jake. So <laughs> fair enough. Class of 2020 running back. Uh, who's your top guy for 2021? This was a lot harder than I thought it would be, by the way, uh, because there's a couple. It was. I I didn't expect it to be. Um, And just especially focusing on 2021, it's so much about situation, of course, but it's also just about has what these guys shown this year, is it enough to translate just from a pure talent perspective kind of no matter what the situation is next year. Because I, I see a lot of this could be in flux. So this is all a big preamble of me just saying, don't hate me for whatever these rankings look like. And I'm sure they'll change dozens of times between now and uh, my redrafts for next year. But I think my top guy is still CEH. Um, I know that recency bias has hit people really hard with him because of this last week where he was just standing on the sidelines. He was active, but he was just on the sidelines. 
Um, and he had to watch as, uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell and uh, Daryl Williams get all of his work. But he's running back 13, I believe, on the year for PPR leagues. And his role is what it is there. I, I feel confident in the way that he was able to step in. No, he didn't come out and Kareem Hunt the way that he did in his rookie season. But you got enough inklings of that where I almost feel like he is the safest bet. And he also has a pretty high ceiling for me. So no doubt for me, there's a couple of guys who maybe could get into that mix, but I think from a safety point, it's CEH. Yeah, I let me piggyback on something you said. I think you could take pretty much the top six rookie running backs on my list and um, pretty much throw them in any order. And I'm not sure I could make too compelling an argument against that. And, uh, you know, even Cam Akers, who I, th- I think I would have seventh on my list is, uh, you know, kind of jury out and could certainly change my mind in these next couple of weeks. Like he's coming on strong. Um, so I wound up putting Clyde, uh, fifth and maybe I do have kind of a bias against him because they have been, I don't know, like the way they pulled back the reins on him, like were they worried that he was too small, that he was just not going to hold up with sort of featured duty over a full season? And is that going to be an ongoing concern? Do they feel like they're always going to need a platoon partner with him? So that's kind of the reason I'm uh, a little hesitant on him. You know, like him, of course, I think he's, you know, high end running back two for next year probably, you know, such a good class. I think, you know, any of these top five or six are, are going to be guys you're pretty happy with as you're running back two next year. I, I don't know if there's a running back one among them. Um, so my number one, oh, go ahead. You were oh, no, I, I, I think that's a perfect point. Is, is any of these guys, like, do you feel comfortable taking any of them in the first round of your redraft league next year? And for me, yeah, that answer is no right now. Unless some things change, of course. Yeah, and uh, you, you also made a pretty good point in the the prelude to naming Ceh when you said that you know these guys whose situations are in flux, and really the only guy here with like really rock solid QB security, I guess, is uh, well Ceh, and and maybe there's one other we'll get to in a second here, but um, you know certainly a lot of these guys are you know, have unstable QB situation, um, including the guy I put at the top, Antonio Gibson. And, uh, you know, as we record this, he just sustained some sort of toe slash foot injury. So that's not good. Uh, I already kind of jinxed him by putting him at the top (laughs) of this list, but, um, I mean, I'm just so excited by the possibilities with this guy. Like of all the rookie running backs, he is the one who, I feel like has the the dreamy ceiling, you know, like the the top three running back ceiling, because I mean, just the limited background he had in college yet on the few college touches he got, like the touchdown percentage was just outrageous. You know, this is a guy who knows how to get into the end zone and we're already seeing it with what, 11 touchdowns this year as a rookie, even though he hasn't really been used in a featured role. So um, you know, and I've talked about this on the show, how we kind of thought that like the third down role was going to be his in this year. And even though he kind of hasn't been playing that with JD McKissick around, like he's seized the early down work 
pretty much shoved everyone else aside there and, and just, I don't know. I, I love this guy's combination of size, speed, basically Jonathan Taylor-esque and, um, you know, what he's done. Like, I, I just think this is a guy they're going to sort of build the offense around. You know, obviously they need to find the quarterback, but uh, Gibson is just going to be such a, a an important piece for them in the years to come. Absolutely. And, and so Gibson is my running back too. Uh, I'll get that out of the way here because it's just so important what he's done, I think, Pat, with in that situation. That's not the most ideal for any running back to walk into. You, you talked about how basically he's the opposite of what folks expected him to be as he came in here. We expected it to be the McKissick role. It turns out he's more of the between the tackles runner and he's looked great doing it. And he's produced so well for fantasy doing that with a slew of different quarterbacks. Uh, none of them, I don't think it's speaking out of turn to say that none of these guys are uh, maybe top tier uh, quarterbacks at this stage. I love Alex Smith, by the way, I should say that I am rooting for him and I want him as comeback player of the year. But from a fantasy perspective, I don't think that he is uh, the kind of quarterback that's going to elevate a running back. So the fact that he's been doing all this with that kind of hodgepodge situation there just speaks volumes about what what he can do next year. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, all right. So you've got him number two. I've got DeAndre Swift number two. And again, boy, splitting hairs to try to, uh, you know, parse these top six. But um, maybe the easiest way for me to say this is that I love the fact that DeAndre Swift was able to convince a dumb organization to make him the featured guy. Like they didn't want to make him the featured guy at the start and, and they wanted to, you know, give him nothing near the role they should have given him at the beginning, but like, you know, he quickly established that he was good enough to get the high value touches, the receptions, the work near the goal line. And it didn't take that long for them to say, okay, we need to, we need to give this guy the early down work. Like he's better than Adrian Peterson. He's better than carry on Johnson. Like this is our guy. So, uh, you know, as, as brain dead as Matt Patricia and, you know, Bob Quinn, like, I don't know what kind of influence Bob Quinn had with playing time, but, um, you know, they absolutely just gave in to this guy's talents. And, um, you know, he was my number two coming into this season behind Taylor with the rookie class. Um, I just liked the NFL skill sets. And we've seen that, I think, with the pass catching ability. And, uh, you know, I do think he's got NFL running ability, too, and, and basically was proving that he could be a featured guy. And hopefully this concussion doesn't keep that from happening late this year. Yeah, that's and that's always tricky. You know, when somebody's coming on as strong as he was and then they get taken off the field because of concussions. I mean, concussions are just always scary, no matter what the situation. Um, but it's, yeah, it's it's a real bummer to see that derailed. <laughs> I have to agree with you 1,000% um, that if you can somehow surpass this coaching scheme and just a team that has not been friendly to running backs, period, for, I don't know, the better part of 25 years, um, and you're able to kind of disprove all of that, in about a seven game span, that's impressive. 
So I, I, we're pretty close on some of these rankings now, it seems. So Swift is my three. Really seems like CEH is the one who got uh, got in the way of our good, good flow here. But uh, yeah, Swift is three for me. Assuming that he can come back fully healthy, which he should, um, Adrian Peterson should finally be excised from that team. And carry on doesn't seem long for it either. And if he is there, all the better, because he'll just be a change of pace guy. I think that he's pretty much proven himself into that role. So Swift, I love it. I love his reception floor so far. You you talked about it. Four targets as an average. It's not, it's not excessive. It's not JD McKissick numbers of 10 targets every single game, but it's a great starting point. Yeah, really, other than dropping that potential game winner against the Bears uh, very early. That might have even been week one. I can't recall now. But, uh, yeah, he's been terrific as a pass catcher. Um, All right, so I'm one behind you. My number three was J.K. Dobbins. Um, You know, also on the verge, we think, of getting the feature back treatments. You know, sort of poor timing there with, um, you know, getting that in week 11, then – ends up on the COVID list and they have to turn to Gus Edwards exclusively in week 12 with Ingram and Dobbins on the COVID list. Um, but like, I wasn't sure about the pass catching coming out of Ohio state. Like I knew he wasn't a complete klutz in the passing game, but like he's been better in that area than I suspected he would be. And um, I, I guess this is the other sort of cemented, quarterback situation. And I do think having a running quarterback does sort of give him a built-in advantage. Uh, you know, when you've always got the threat of Lamar going outside, like the linebackers have to honor that. And it, it is an advantage, I think, for the running backs. But Dobbins is good. Like he has looked really good this season. Um, you know, they they realized they had to turn it over to him and, and break up the committee. So uh, he's my three. Where did he end up on your list? This is where we finally diverge again here, it seems. Uh, Dobbins for me, and it's, as you mentioned earlier, they're so close that it, it doesn't mean much that he's down where he is, but he's number six for me, so just fell outside my top five. And I think the only reason, uh, and this could be me just looking class half empty from this perspective, is that you know you mentioned Lamar Jackson does give him sort of a nice boost as running quarterbacks tend to do my only worry is that that whole offense is just looks so so shaky this year um from a fancy perspective they've taken some pretty significant downgrades overall just in terms of you know yards per attempt and and efficiency and all these things i think they absolutely could rebound next year and certainly once dobbins gets the the featured role there and ingram's cleared away and Gus Edwards becomes the true backup that he was always destined to be. Um, then Dobbins will certainly have enough share to make him very relevant. I'm just, a, I'm honestly a little nervous about that offense as a whole. So that's my only hesitation with him. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right. Who's next on your list? For me, the next one uh, is James Robinson. And the only reason he's this far down the list is because I don't trust the Jaguars organization to do the right thing, which in my view would be to make James Robinson the undisputed running back there for next year. Uh, Draft capital does tend to mean a lot, whether for right or wrong. 
for some organizations and being an undrafted guy. Of course, there are examples of undrafted running backs coming in and having good lengthy careers. There are also those guys who are maybe one season, two season wonders. If he's just a two season wonder, great. Next year in redraft, he should still be amazing. My fear is that the Jags organization is going to do the wrong thing. They're going to go out, they're going to draft a running back, even though they have all these other positional needs that they should fill first. And James Robinson will be at best relegated to uh, a timeshare there as opposed to what he's done this year, which I mean, he's done everything. <laughs> they were talking in this this past game, Dari Agumbawali, a uh, good Wisconsin running back, had gotten his first touch in that game. Um, and the announcers were shocked by it because it was a touch that James Robinson didn't get. And that... That just says it all because it's been 99.5% James Robinson all the way. And that volume has been amazing. I have him in Scott Fishbowl. Love him in Scott Fishbowl. I'm just nervous about the organization. Yeah, I understand your your feelings there. And they do have so many other needs to address. But like, hopefully, if they do draft someone, it's late. If they do sign someone, it's only like a complimentary you know, piece in insurance policy. Um, yeah, this guy's just been so resilient to shoulder the workload he has all season and to do what he's doing with, you know, Mike Glennon now at quarterback. It's just so impressive. Um, all right. I guess I know who's number five on your list. Care to, <laughs> care to tell us? No, Robinson is my number four. Also. Fair, fair enough. All right. We're sinking back up again here, Pat. I like that. Uh, <laughs> now, yeah. So number five on the list is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, boy, what a whirlwind of a season it's been for him. It's not even that he's been entirely unimpressive or unproductive. It's just the expectations, I think, that we all had for him coming in, which were so high. Uh, it's been really disappointing, especially once Marlon Mack left. Of course, that opened up what I assumed certainly would be a workhorse role for him. It hasn't been the case. We've seen a healthy dose of Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins get their way in there. Um, and so it's it's a little frustrating. And just based off of that, I'm very tepid with him. I do assume, you know, Marlon Mack's not going to come back more than likely. They won't re-sign him next year. But it's just, I don't know, how committed are they to making Jonathan Taylor the guy after this year? I certainly hope so. He's had a couple of very impressive showings recently, which has put him trending upward at least. And that's good to see to close out the season. If he can do that the rest of the way, I'll probably bump him up, you know, maybe a spot in my rankings for next year. But as of right now, it's just, I don't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, I think he showed all the physical tools and I think he showed that he is a better pass catcher than he was given credit for coming out of Wisconsin, where he was really only used in that capacity at all in the last of his three seasons. Some of the in, uh, what's the word, in carry decision-making, I was kind of surprised at some of the poor choices he was making with on runs earlier in the season, like the, um, you know, the replays and, and some of the cutups I saw people post where he just made bad decisions. Um, that kind of shocked me. The one thing though, it seems like he's been making better decisions with the ball lately. The one thing I'm worried about is Frank Reich. Like I, I think he's 
not going anywhere anytime soon. And I think he is very dedicated to a multi-pronged approach at running back. And, uh, you know, it's frustrating. Why is Naheem Hines getting the carries inside the five-yard line, including a, a fourth and goal at the the one-yard line? Like they're slamming Naheem Hines into the middle of the line. I, I don't understand that when you've got Jonathan Taylor, but I guess that's my biggest concern. So um, then I think we could both say, what, Cam Akers is probably number seven on our list. It's tough, too, because Akers is a guy that I think should be better <laughs> next year. I think we're kind of seeing him get more work here again recently. and But it's just, I don't know, is he a workhorse or is Daryl Henderson going to stay there and continue plotting away to get them what they need? So Akers could be as high as number three for me before everything's said and done sure, sure. next year. But yeah, for right now, he's he's firmly seventh. And then I have uh, Zach Moss just after him. All right, let's swing over to the wide receivers. Why don't you give me your top three? Top three, um, I've, I, I have to preface apparently all of my rankings here, but um, I've been burned in the past about not banking on talent. And I've looked too much at situation with wide receivers. And that really burned me with A.J. Brown <laughs> this year. I expected so much regression because of that offense. So I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm going pure talent here. And for me, that's Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb, and T. Higgins are my top three. All right. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've am i got Lamb one, Jefferson two, Higgins three. I'm with you. Um, I th- I, Lamb and Jefferson, I think we can agree, both look pretty special. I guess I, the thing I like about Lamb a little more, like I think he's got an acrobatic quality to his game uh, that I'm not quite sure Jefferson has. Like Lamb is maybe one of the most graceful wide receivers, I think, just as far as some of the catches he can make. Um, I don't know, style points, I guess. But Jefferson is amazing. <laughs> Jefferson's amazing too. And, uh, you know, Higgins, the guy who did not get his due in the pre-draft run-up, from the draft Knicks has just absolutely belonged from the minute he set foot on the field. And, uh, you know, a shame what happened to Joe Burrow, but like, I think the Burrow Higgins connection is going to be, uh, fruitful in fantasy for years to come. For sure. And are you worried at all about next year? Just speaking about Burrow, because, you know, quarterback being so, so important to this provided, I think, the expectation is that Burrow's going to start week one, but hypothetically, if he misses a few games, would you move Higgins down yours? I, I don't think I would. Um, you know, like he's he's been involved still with Brandon Allen. Like it hasn't been pretty. I mean, he needed a touchdown in the last seconds two weeks ago to to have a decent game, and then you know didn't do much in week thirteen. But um, it would be worrisome. Like if there were some long-term concerns where we didn't think, you know, he was going to be back until Halloween or something, then I'd worry. But um, otherwise, no. Uh, why? Because who who is your who are your four, five, six, and is number four hot on Higgins' heels? Yes, number four is very close. So that's why I wanted to kind of gauge your temperature on that. It's so Chase Claypool has just he shocked me so much this year. It, he really kind of blew up, in my mind, that whole narrative of there's too many mouths to feed. That's all you hear with a lot of these rookie prospects that come in. It's, well, there's too many mouths to feed. And the same was said about Higgins. 
a lot leading up to this season because, you know, AJ Green was still there. Har har. Um, and Tyler Boyd and uh, a couple of other guys who, you know, John Ross was maybe going to come back and be a thing. And Auden Tate looked good last year. And so how much is Higgins going to actually get work? And it was the same with Claypool because you had Juju there. You had Deontay Johnson, even James Washington, um, who folks still kind of expected to maintain that three spot there. And Claypool just came and decimated. Um, And assuming that Ben Roethlisberger is still their quarterback next year and still healthy for next year, there's no way I can move Claypool down, even with understanding and acknowledging how much of his fantasy points have come off of touchdowns. It's still so hard to negate that, you know, I maybe there'll be regression. But like I said, with A.J. Brown previously, I can't bank on that with a guy who's so talented. Yeah, um, that's a good lesson to take away from Claypool. The the don't overbuy into the too many miles to feed narrative. The other one, maybe, Jake, is that, uh, you know, I know maybe we pay too much attention to the combine in some instances, but maybe we weren't paying enough attention to the fact that this guy was as big as he was and as fast as he was. And maybe that should have been enough to get us interested unless he had hands like Sammy Coates, you know, like if, if this guy could catch anything thrown his way, I mean, with those measurables, like, you know, the Calvin Johnson type measurables, we should have maybe taken a set up and taken notice a little earlier than we did. Um, all right. Why don't you run down like uh, the rest of your list real fast? Yeah. The rest of these guys, and there's some that could be in flux a lot more than others, but it goes Jerry, Judy, Denzel Mims, Brandon, Ayuk, Michael Pittman, uh, Gabriel Davis and Darnell Mooney round out my top 10. Interesting. Yeah. So I've got Judy five. I mean, I, I do think that route running skill is going to eventually elevate him. It's been kind of a rough year. We don't know if Drew Locke is going to be there for the long haul. Uh, Ayuk, pretty magical with the ball in his hands. I'm with you there. Uh, I guess I'm a little higher on LaVisca Chenault than you are. I know it's been kind of a, a star-crossed year for him so far, but um, you know, just love the size. And uh, another guy who's pretty awesome, once he has the ball in his hand, it's just so hard to tackle. Uh, Jalen Rager, eight, Michael Pittman, nine, and Henry Ruggs, number 10. Don't love the way they've used him. And I might be giving, I mean, Mooney is really like being here in Chicago. It's, it's definitely opened my eyes to how good that guy is. And it's just a great class. I mean, Gabriel Davis is terrific too. Um, and Mims, definitely a tough omission for me. Like I, it's pretty telling the kind of air yards he's been getting lately. Like, you know, Darnold wants to find this guy downfield. Um, so yeah, it was just one of those things where I had to squeeze someone out and, you know, no good reason for omitting him, but I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, any other, cause say, you know, the same reason that I omitted rugs, <laughs> was kind of that same deal. It's just, who do you bounce out at a certain point? You know, these guys are so close and so much of it does come back to the quarterback for me. And I don't know if that played a large factor, maybe two with, with you and Mims. Um, because yeah, Sam Darnold doesn't inspire a ton of confidence for me. I'm kind of hopeful. I just want to put a little asterisk next to Mims here is that once Adam Gaze is gone, hopefully by the end of the season, that opens up the world for Denzel Mims and we get to see him really shine. 
Yeah. And I do think um, it, it sounds like we agree that there's a certain amount of, um, I don't know, there is a, a level of certainty with these first four guys that they are just going to be studs. And then a little bit of a Rorschach element with these other guys where, uh, you know, we've seen it at times, but there are some blanks yet to be filled in. I, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right, Jake, before we go any further, let's talk about your show, uh, Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football. First of all, how did you meet your uh, co-host, Dustin Lunt? Well, so Dustin and I both live here in Madison, Wisconsin, and we actually met through some mutual friends who were starting a, uh, a beach volleyball league. And so we met doing that, and uh, uh, it was not very competitive. But the drinking was fruitful during those those times, and we we immediately had a kindred uh, love for football, and more importantly, fantasy football. And as these things go, you know, you go through the years, and we started watching every uh, Sunday Packers games together, um, and we're always you know crowded at the end of the table while the other friends were kind of talking and kind of ignoring the game. We were always really honed in and and discussing things kind of in depth and. You know, you just get that that itch of, hey, should we do this, but with microphones? <laughs> and so that's really as simply as it started was just that. We recorded our first episode of the pod for our league, just our little 12-team home league here. Uh, and we did basically an entire, quote-unquote, season of it just for those guys, just for those knuckleheads. Um, and then we said, well, this was really fun. Let's do it a little bit more seriously now and maybe put it out to the masses. And so we started doing that. We live actually right next door to each other. So, um, we used to record in his basement, um, just crowded into his dank basement, drinking his home brew and, and talking on the pod. Uh, COVID put a, a stop to that part of it still. But yeah, we're always chatting up, even if we're not podcasting. So it's been pretty natural for us. And when did the idea for the weekly beer bets? Well, tell people about the weekly beer bet. How did that come about? And uh, who has had to buy more beer for the other guy? <laughs> Dustin's going to hate me saying this, but uh, you know the beer bet came up because naturally when you're at a bar or in somebody's living room and you're watching a game and and you get into those friendly arguments about players or teams or whatever, or the sweet spot where you face each other that week in fantasy football, then there's a lot of pride that comes on the line when you're having those discussions. And it's just fun to have some sort of payoff for the other person, you know? Um, and so we started this. It would it was just an off-season thing, and we'd make some kind of overarching yearly beer bets. And what would happen is whoever lost then the winner got to choose the most disgusting beer that they could find for the other person to drink. Now, that didn't last very long because, it, I mean, chugging an entire beer, which was uh, the requirement of a really gross beer, it's, it gets to you. It gets to your soul after a few too many of those. So we actually changed it. But now the in-season weekly ones is, uh, you know, it's, it's a head-to-head -head kind of thing. Um, where we try and pick one game, two players, opposing teams who play the same position, and we say, okay, which guy's going to outscore the other? Which guy's going to get more receiving yards than the other, et cetera? We put our bets in, and then whoever loses has to acknowledge that the other person is a fantasy football expert prognosticator slash genius. And then they do a shot now. We've moved to shots. 
that that explains why he was doing the uh what was it fireball shot that's right outstanding love that idea i uh, it is a great show urge you guys to check it out uh, i had a great time with jake and dustin when i was on their show a few weeks ago uh really fun so i think you guys would dig it um all right. When I asked you to be on the show, Jake, the one thing I knew we were going to have to talk about was the city where you live, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I spent four years there for college. Uh, okay, five, but who's counting? <laughs> you live in an awesome little neighborhood just east of the Wisconsin state capitol. Uh, so on one hand, I don't want to bore the hell out of our listeners by talking about a place where most of them have never been before. But on the other hand, we would be doing them a disservice if we didn't recommend that they find an excuse to make a stop in Madison at some point in their lives. Because I don't know about you, Jake, but I think it has to be on the short list of the best mid-sized cities in America. Would you agree? I think I have to. It's there is a special vibe about this place. And that's, you know, for the listeners, the way that really we first interacted was uh, Scott Fishbowl. They have these kind of group chats that you can put together for folks who are drafting out of the same position because it's such a big tournament. You know, it's like fourteen hundred plus people. Um, and so, oh, we both ended up drafting ninth overall. So we wound up into this group chat with a bunch of other ninth overall people. And you can kind of talk strategy and whatnot. And it just came, I don't even remember how it came up, but somehow I found out that you lived in Madison or vice versa. And not only did we live in Madison, but when you had lived here, you'd lived like three blocks from where my old apartment was in Madison and um, shows how small of a world it can be. But Madison just has this vibe and you're right, that kind of mid-sized city, uh, everything that you need is here, but it doesn't have a lot of excesses. You know, it, it's a lot of wide open spaces still. The lakes are always beautiful. Every season, there's something different for you to do. Of course, the drinking is top notch here. I would be remiss if I didn't mention all the great beer spots, of course, um, and microbreweries and whatnot. But there's just something interesting about the city, and I've not found it anywhere else. You know, I've lived out in California, and I've lived in these different places, and I haven't found anything that quite matches it. Yeah, there is a vibe about it for sure. And part of it is the university. Uh, I think part of it is like even the uh, mature adults who stay there into their 30s, 40s, 50s are like, um, you know, there's you almost have to be young at have a young mindset to live there if you're going to be an older adult living there, it seems like. And, and for sure, um, you know, the like even the the people in their 50s and 60s in Madison seem like they're kind of hip. And uh, just the unique geography of the place, being uh, the city being on an isthmus, which is, you know, means it's basically this peninsula jammed between two lakes and having these lakes that you could, uh, you could what, walk from Lake Monona to Lake Mendota in what, like half an hour or so at a brisk pace. That's right. So, um yeah, just, uh, you know, and, and Bascom Hill, I think people like they've had the shots where they cut away during a, a Wisconsin football game or whatever to the Abe Lincoln statue at the top of Bascom Hill. Like the, the glaciers did some pretty amazing things with Madison when they were cutting their way through that city. So uh, really just a beautiful place. Well worth it. Uh, well worth getting a beer on the Memorial Union Terrace. On the shores of Lake Mendota, I think you would agree that's one of the best spots. 
It's the spot. It's the sunset spot, man. You get you get yourself a big, tall pole of, of spotted cow, and you sit on those Union Terrace chairs, and you just watch the sun go down. There's something uh, pretty great about it. A- yeah. And I mean, it's a it's a top two college football town. I, I mean, just for tailgating alone, I think it has to rank. I've seen some of those polls that come out, you know, when they rank the universities for football. Madison always finds itself at least in the top five. So I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, exactly. It, nice to have a row of bars basically leading right up to the uh, entrance to the stadium. That doesn't hurt. <laughs> so the Regent Street bars, shout out. Um, all right, Jake, in the time we have left, let's go back to fantasy football. What are you to make of Corey Davis now? Uh, has he made you a believer the last few weeks? He kind of has. I actually had these moments in this offseason where I toiled with him and how to evaluate him because it did seem one of these guys who the situation was just so terrible. And kind of that's how he <laughs> is the anti-A.J. Brown sentiment of the situation's so bad, Corey Davis just can't rise above it, ergo, Corey Davis not going to be fantasy relevant. And he has started to rise above it. Um, or the offense has rose to meet him, I guess, however you want to look at it. But he has value. He for sure has value now. And and if you're in leagues where the perception is still that he's not capable of being, say, I don't know, wide receiver three, four in that range, then you should take advantage of that by trading for him is my perspective, because I, I think he's shown enough that he can absolutely be a flex guy. Once he gets out of that situation in Tennessee too, maybe he goes to a team where he's able to get a little bit more volume or uh, just a higher powered passing offense. I think Corey Davis could sneak up and get you some extra value there. Yeah. He looked absolutely great yesterday. I mean, just the way he like, just so purposefully running after the catch, uh, just plucking the ball so smoothly, getting open with ease. Um, and it was weird because when A.J. Brown wasn't around to open the season, like Corey Davis kind of cashed in, but not really. And then Brown comes back and you're like, okay, now Davis is going to go back into obscurity. But like he just kind of kept coming on and coming on. And now he's like this legitimate guy where, um, you know, even with A.J. Brown there, and it really helps that the Titans have a favorable schedule down the stretch. I think Davis is a very viable playoff receiver for people. Um, since week eight, Jake, after Devonta Freeman went on IR, Wayne Gallman has been the running back seven in half-point PPR scoring. And that's even with a bye week thrown in. Do you think this guy's for real? <sighs> for real? Mm. <laughs> in terms of longevity, I, I would say no. But for this year, I mean, if if you need uh, a starting running back, and who doesn't, quite frankly, at this point, right. I think anybody can get their hands at a, a de facto starting running back. You have to go for it. I think that he has every opportunity here to become, um, for the remaining part of this year, a league winner. He really does. I, I've been impressed. Every week, he's gotten better and better. That's what's impressed me. And obviously this last week against Seattle, he just went off. You know, he didn't get anything for the touchdown column for rushes, but he really racked up the yards, 8.4 yards per carry, even against Seattle, who admittedly not the uh, toughest defense necessarily against the run, but that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, Seattle hasn't been too bad against the run. This dude is just 
tough as freaking nails, man. But I, I know what you mean. So I think you're starting him pretty unconditionally this year. Um, but maybe no NFL team is going to turn a backfield over to him completely. Like he's always going to have a, a committee partner, um, you know, but maybe at least someone looks at him to be part of a committee next year, which, you know, when considering where he started the year, that's uh, definitely an upgrade to his lot. David Montgomery, much maligned earlier in the season, he's rolled up 254 yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns the last two weeks. Has your opinion of him fundamentally changed the last two weeks? Not to give myself a pat on the back, but I do think I've been a little higher than David Montgomery than consensus in general, mostly just because of the workload. He's yep. he's always getting consistent workload. There's no competition there. I mean, unless you treat Cordero Patterson as competition. And to be fair, he did vulture a touchdown for Montgomery this last game. Um, so I guess there's a point to be made there. But there's just really nobody that you have to be threatened by in that backfield to come take his role. And he's he's just produced at a solid clip. He's never been overwhelming for you, certainly, but he's been a solid plug-and-play guy all year. Now, nothing like what he's done the last two weeks. But to be fair, the last two weeks, he got Green Bay and Detroit, both top three in terms of fantasy points allowed for your opposing running backs. So he's had the benefit of matchups there. But he is, at worst a solid high-end running back, too, for me the rest of the way. Yeah, it sounds like we kind of feel the same way. Like maybe, I mean, I I love that workload all year, the fact that they, you know, he's such a big piece in their passing game that he, you know, gets 15 to 20 carries like every time out and uh, that they've got no, like, that their viable backup for him is a wide receiver. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's just a good situation. And, and yes, as as you know, both of us being Packers fans, we know the Green Bay run defense isn't that good. It made him look like Walter Payton two weeks ago. Uh, you know, that's maybe not the realistic way to look at Montgomery. But yeah, this is a valuable role. Um, granted, he's probably going to have some competition where in that backfield next year. But, you know, for this year, I think you're happy. Um, one guy people pretty much left for dead two weeks ago. Uh, I think he was like, unrostered in 70% of Yahoo leagues. T.Y. Hilton, the last two weeks now, he has 12 catches for 191 yards and two touchdowns. Has your opinion of Hilton fundamentally changed over the last couple of weeks? Um, I don't know if it's fundamentally changed. It certainly made me question why I dropped him in week seven in all of my leagues. But, you know, you were so frustrated by him at that point. Both T.Y. Hilton and A.J. Green felt like the same player to me coming into this year in the fact that I thought, you know, you can get both of them pretty late in your draft. So maybe there's a chance that they rise above expectations. Could both hypothetically have been their number one options? Uh, it didn't work out, certainly for A.J. Green. It didn't work out for T.Y. Hilton for the majority of this season. Is it just a function of Philip Rivers finally getting comfortable with him or with that offense, you know, where he doesn't have to dump it off every single play or only funnel it to his tight end, maybe. Um, and if that's the case, then, you know, I'm I'm happy to treat Hilton as a flex when you need him. I, I just can't trust him beyond that. 
Yeah, it seems like the game is different. He's not just this vertical stretch threat anymore, which was a good thing because maybe that was the horror for people at the beginning of the season. Like, oh my God, Philip Rivers can't throw deep anymore. What are we going to do with T.Y. Hilton? You know, why did I draft this guy? And uh, But it, it seems like they're using him in different ways now. Um, yeah, so uh, agree with you. He's, he's kind of in the, the flex range, maybe not total trust in him just yet, but it's nice to see him, uh, you know, come off the trash heap. Uh, I know you're a dynasty guy, Jake. Has, has Colin Johnson piqued your interest at all? I mean, over the last two weeks, he's played this expanded role in the Jaguars offense. I think more snaps and routes than LaVisca Chenault in week 13. Uh, eight catches, 162 yards, and a touchdown over the last two weeks. And that's with Glennon at quarterback. So um, I know a guy you're interested in all at all. He's on my radar. I love these guys, especially when it comes to wide receivers who have the upside that he's just proven that he has. Colin Johnson, I, I mean, there's nothing else that you could take away. Like you said, he's doing this with with Mike Glennon. Now, to be fair to Mike Glennon, he has shown a propensity to zip the ball down the down the field. I think there was even a blurb about him before his first start there a couple weeks back that he said he was going to sling it because he's got nothing to lose, um, which is accurate, of course. He is a poor a poor man's and tall man's. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I guess. <laughs> a very tall man's Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's right. He has as much neck as Ryan Fitzpatrick has beard, I think. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, Colin Johnson isn't somebody that I think is going to, you know, rise up into the ranks of being a top 20 guy or anything like that. But you always need guys like this um, in Dynasty that have nothing but upside. And yeah, once DJ Car- Chark comes back, that's going to tamper a lot of those things. But there's going to be more cut weight from that team, you would assume, going into next year. I haven't looked really hard at the contract situation for Jacksonville, but they're always that team who has like four or five guys behind the main guy that are kind of interchangeable. And you never know who it's going to be (laughs) until it happens. And if only for that reason, Colin Johnson is worth rostering because what if he's that guy? Yeah, and there is... uh always room, I think, for a 6'6 receiver with a pretty good set of hands who can get himself open. That was the thing. I just didn't know whether Colin Johnson would be able to get open because he's not that fast, but uh, he does seem to be finding holes in the defense. So uh, he is an interesting guy. I want to keep an eye on. All right, last question, Jake, before I let you go. Can Kiki Kuti be fantasy viable in the playoffs? Absolutely. I absolutely Kiki can be somebody uh, that could win you your league. Legitimately, he can come in now at this stretch. We know that there's no competition there. It's Brandon Cooks and it's Kiki and it's Isaiah Coulter, I guess. Um, Chad <laughs> thank you. Yes, I couldn't even remember his name. That's where he came out of nowhere this last week. Um, but, you know, I mean, nine targets, eight receptions, 141 yards. And that's not fluky to me because you even saw in week 12 when he had to step in there towards the end, he he instantly got red zone looks, which to me, a guy of his size, that's what I was kind of worried about. I didn't know if he'd have any red zone viability. Seems like he kind of does. And even without it, I think he's going to be fine. I, I don't even think you need touchdowns from this guy whatsoever. Uh, his matchups aren't the best, um, but 
Indy wasn't a great matchup, and he definitely proved that that didn't matter for him. So I'm kind of excited. Yeah, and um, like people were excited about him a couple of years ago, and then he just got so deep in Bill O'Brien's doghouse that he couldn't get out. And uh, well, hey, Bob is gone, so uh, <laughs> it's go time for Kiki. I'm with you here, man. I think he's uh, going to be an interesting player, and, and like you said, it's it's not the smoothest. Uh, of sailing for the Texans in the playoffs. They get the Bears this week, and then they get, uh, what is it, Indy again. Oh, and then the Bengals in Week 16. If you can make it to Week 16, win a championship with Kiki Kuti. That's something to tell the grandkids about. Uh, Jake, (laughs) this was great, man. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show. You're doing Madison proud. Uh, Before I let you go, can you tell people where to find you on Twitter and how they can find your show? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you so much for having me on here. This was a blast. I always love catching up with any Madison alum, first of all, but also uh, somebody as kind and generous as yourself. Uh, This has been an absolute blast for me. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Trowbridge, because that's my name. Uh, And you can find our podcast, Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, every place, essentially, where you can find regular podcasts. You can find us. You can find us on Twitter at Drinking Fantasy. Awesome, Jake. Thanks again. Uh, Good luck in the Scott Fishbowl playoffs. Happy holidays, and I can't wait till this pandemic is over so we can drink beer together in Madison. Looking forward to it, Pat. All right. That is going to do it for this week. Let me once again thank my guest, Jake Trowbridge of the Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football Podcast. Find him on Twitter at Jake Trowbridge. A big thanks to my producer, Calm Kelly. He is also an executive producer of the Rotoviz Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast, along with Sean Siegel. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Special thanks to my colleague and content partner, Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com. Find her on Twitter at thefootballgirl. A special thanks to International Jet Set for the music. And of course, my thanks to all of you for listening. Be sure to come back next week, and I'll be joined by another great guest. And hey, everyone, the fantasy playoffs are upon us. For all of you getting ready for what will hopefully be runs to the championship, I wish you all the best of luck. May you and your team run as pure as possible. It's showtime, my friends. Go get those wins, and I'll talk to you next week. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in, are you?